This episode of POMCAST is sponsored by Blacker Yarns. Blacker Yarns produce a diverse range of breed-specific knitting and crochet yarn. With everything from Shetland and Blueface Leicester through to Wensleydale, Gotland and Teeswater, you'll be sure to find an unexpected treat. If you're thinking of exploring breed-specific yarns for a first time, or buying a few balls of a breed local to your area, then head over to www.blackeryarns.co.uk. All Blacker's wares are spun and dyed on their mill in Cornwall, using 100% British fibre and sustainable production methods. Hello! And welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Lydia Gluck and I'm here, as I always am, with Sophie Scott. How are you, Sophie? Hi, Lydia. I'm good. What did you get up to last night? Because it's pretty exciting. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm asking like I don't know and just leading into a segue <laughs> of information. I went to see a Mexican Morrissey tribute act at the Barbican. Um, see, which... all these things just separately <laughs> are fun. And then you've put something together that's this amazing... Burrito of... I'm staying with the Mexican theme. Burrito of enjoyment. It was certainly a burrito of enjoyment. And um, it was a surprise um, from my brother and my friend who took me on a mystery evening night out, which culminated in seeing Mexican Morrissey, um, which involved the singing of both Morrissey solo songs and mm-hmm. Smith songs mm-hmm. in Spanish yeah. um, in a sort of fun Mexican style. And afterwards there was a disco where we got to dance to fun Britpop slash Mexican music. It sounds amazing. It was amazing. It just sounds like some sort of weird dream, like you've gone out for a Mexican meal and then you come home and you have this dream like, oh yes, and then Morrissey was there. <laughs> and we were sitting kind of at the back of our row so we could get up and dance without um, nice, obscuring anyone's vision, which is good. And it was, yeah, it was great. And the last uh, song they played was How Soon Is Now, mm-hmm. which I thoroughly enjoyed and which happens to be... Um, well, my mom tells me that it was the only song I would fall asleep to when I was a child. Oh, when wow. I was a sinister child. <laughs> <laughs> Nurturing your tortured teenage soul. Yeah, exactly. So British. <laughs> yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And what did you do this morning, Sophie? I learnt how to carve spoons, because I don't have... you're in need of spoons? I don't have enough hobbies in my life. Um, or enough spoons. <laughs> or enough spoons. <laughs> I thought, how can I solve this? Yeah, it's one of, one of my New Year's resolutions to kind of enjoy more things within... The city we live in, mm-hmm. um, starting with spoons. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was really fun. Uh, it was very intense, and I thought I kind of thought I'd, I was like, I've got the manual dexterity of knitting. I can have a go at this, and then I kind of yeah, it's like you would. You get better as you go along. But well, at first, I did feel a bit cat-handed. And yeah, it was really great fun, and you actually have to use like a special like curved knife to do all the scooping, and then you do lots of whittling, and uh, you have to say it without the G. It's <laughs> authentic. Uh, and I didn't cut myself, but now I have a spoon, so that's pretty cool. It is cool, and I've seen the spoon, and it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks. And you're gonna you're gonna like wax it and stuff. Yeah, I got like, a little little pot of wax. <gasps> so wax cool. my spoon. So yeah. You're gonna use it or just yeah, yeah, display yeah. it? Oh no, no, definitely. It. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> display spoon. There was someone who um, got a bit overzealous with their kind of hollowing out. And they'd like finally they'd like finish the spoon and like kind of got it down to like a spoon shape. So obviously it's just a rectangle of wood. And they're like, I'm just going to scoop out a little bit more, make it a bit deeper. And then it went through and made a hole. And they were just like, oh, I can just nail it on the wall. I've already got a hole. I'll just go through with the nail. Like, <laughs> and what did they call it? Diet spoon. <laughs> yeah, they're like, if I use it, it's just my diet spoon. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we've got our usual features of news and reviews. 
um, tell and tell. We tell you guys and each other about what we're knitting. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got some traveling stitches. So people out and about with their knitting, what you guys have been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, top three, which is always top secret. Even we don't know what each other have chosen for this top three. Dun, dun, dun. You guys have been suggesting some cool ones on the Ravelry forum, so we'll mm -hmm. choose something from there. Yeah, we appreciate that. Uh-huh. And, oh, and Ravelry Realness, where we have our top picks in a pet theme this time. Yeah. Which is pet knits. We had a lot of fun, like, looking, oh, look at this one. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have that in a bit. But, yeah, we will. So, uh, so stay tuned. So um, our news for this podcast is that issue 13, Pom Pom issue 13, uh, is just about to come out. It's just around the corner. I can um, see it. It's just on the horizon. Anyway, um, so yeah, so that will be coming out in early May. So if you're a subscriber or if you've just ordered a copy or if you, you know, get it at your local yarn shop, you'll be seeing that in the next two weeks or so, three mm -hmm. weeks or so. Um, and let me tell you guys, it's a doozy. It always it's is. Got some summery things. And you went to the summery place of Texas to shoot it, didn't you? Did. Yeah. We were in Austin again and, um, it was sunny, which was helpful. And yeah, so there's a lot of Austin happening in that, uh, in the upcoming issue. So you guys can look forward to that. Can't wait for you to see it because very, very pleased with it. When, I, you. when you always say Austin, I'm always thinking Jane Austen. I'm thinking, well, it's going to be this Regency style <laughs> pom pom. Lots of bonnets. And... Hey, we're working on it. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be shot in Bath or something like that. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. But anyway, that's coming up, which is exciting. Um, also, pom poms on the road. We've got I Knit Fandango coming up. Mm -hmm. Fandango is such a great word. It is a great word. Can't say word. that enough. <laughs> which will be in the Lindley Hall, which is a Royal Horticultural Society Hall. So it's in London, um, in South London. And it's a very beautiful location. So yeah. we're looking forward to that one a lot. It'll be the first time we've done that show because I think it's the first time that show has happened in a while. I think they took Indeed. quite a few so. years out. Yeah, so if you are London-based... Or, or even if you're not. Even if you're not. Even if, you know, if you have... Access to a train station. For example, or yeah. an aeroplane or a private helicopter. Oh, wow. Helicoptering in. Especially for fandangoing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, do that because uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll tell you all about it after it happens. If you missed out, we'll paint the picture as we often do. But we'll hey, see, maybe we'll, we'll see you there. That'll when nice. we yeah, come say hi if you if you are coming along. So we've got that to look forward to, and uh, what else we've got? Oh yeah, we've got our regular KAL still ongoing, and we've also got Tamaria along, which we're calling a TAL. 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 Well, let me tell you about that. <laughs> Um, so if you've been reading Pom Pom 12, which we assume you have, uh, there's a lovely uh, article and tutorial on making a tamari ball. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a Japanese craft, which literally means hand ball. Um, and it used to be like a, uh, like just making a toy for kids, like mm -hmm. a little ball made of threads. Recycling. You used to use the threads from the kimonos to make the beautiful uh, things. And it's become more of like an art form, like a heritage craft mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the lovely ladies from Tamarocious who are like a little company that are sort of bringing this heritage uh, to the forefront of traditional crafts mm -hmm. and uh, dyeing threads and stuff like that so they've got a little tutorial there and yeah we're having a Tamari along so maybe it's not something people have heard of or even done yeah so to have a little bit of support and general cheerleading we're having a forum there yeah so you should definitely check that out and um, Sophie has been diligently working on hers and Indeed, yeah. looking pretty darned good they remind me of like spirograph yeah it's very nice there's a lot of kind of 
really pleasing geometry to it, mm-hmm. which is why I like it. I was lucky enough to do a class when the lovely lady stuff, Tamaritius, they were in London, did a class with them. The one I did was much more complicated than the one in the uh, in the magazine. Yeah. And the, but they'd already done the base, and they kind of there's a lot of like a you have to have like a grid line that kind of works out. Mm-hmm. So they'd already done that, which helped a lot. <laughs> so yeah, I think this is the one in the tutorial. The tutorial I realised like it's much more basic, so it's a good one to start with if you're starting from scratch. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And it's a good way to use up scrap threads. So exactly. uh, yeah. Yeah, so join in if you uh, if you want to. We'd be glad to have you along. And we look forward to seeing the things you guys make. We like it when you post pictures and share them with us. Yeah. So, tell and tell. Uh, it's like show and tell, but uh, oh, you get the idea. So, <laughs> what have you been up to, Lydia? Well, I'm very pleased because I'm sitting here wearing um, a jumper that I finished not long ago. And I'm oh. showing Sophie, but I'm telling you guys. it's um, It's the one I've been working on for the last couple months I guess it's Fairchild by Bristol Ivy from our winter issue um, and I've made it in John Arban's viola in the colour English mustard and mm-hmm. um, so it's mustard coloured what, what a surprise <laughs> what a surprise and I love it very 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 much it has an excellent sort of fold pockety design yeah it's got really interesting pleats um, yeah, like Sophie said, it's got kind of like almost like kangaroo pouch kind of thing happening in the front that's created Which is more by... flattering than it sounds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's got these kind of pleats and then at the back of the neck it's got pleats as well. And at the... Um... Wait, I didn't see that. Where? Oh, just turning around she just turned around. It's great. Oh, yeah, pleats. I am wild. And, and also little mini pleats um, on the cuffs. So I had a lot of fun doing pleats because I think actually that's maybe the first time I'd done it. Mm. Um, and it's always fun to try out new things as we all know and i just really i'm really enjoying wearing it i'll be honest she looks very proud it's true i'm very proud yes so that's been my main achievement um and i'm still working on my delita shawl the one that's in the two um different shibui yarns held together yeah we talked about that on the podcast quite fairly recently yeah um but how's that going you're saying you're having trouble with the contrast color well that's the thing because i had you know because the main body of the shawl is the two slightly different shades of gray Mm -hmm. so you know i have a lot of contrast color possibilities because gray goes with many many things Mm -hmm. that's why it's so great um so great um and i had chosen a contrast color which was um a kind of very bright corally pink that i had a little bit left over of because you really you don't need you only need about 25 grams or something for the contrast um and i was like all ready with that and i started working with it and i really like the color but the yarn just doesn't quite work because it's quite a high it's koigu which is an awesome sock yarn Mm -hmm. um and it's got kind of a high twist on it which is again awesome for socks but Because I, th- I feel like the contrast between the two types of yarn, the one being... Well, because the rest of it's just kind of very, like, fluffy and soft. And kind of... I don't know, yeah, just... Slinky, got, almost. Yeah. Um, whereas the high-twist sock yarn is just very... Not only does it contrast a lot in colour, but it contrasts a lot in... It's just kind of very, very smooth. And you can mm. see... Yeah, and because it's little bobbles that you're creating along the edge it just somehow for me isn't the ideal combination so I've been thinking about what yarn I should use instead and I thought I should use a Madeline Tosh unicorn tail which is a great name to start with which obviously everyone knows I like unicorns anyway so (laughs) any opportunity to talk about unicorns it's great that's their little mini skeins that they do which is really good exactly yeah and so it'll be the perfect kind of amount and obviously there's lots and lots of different colours and um so and I think that the single ply aspect of it will work well because you get that same kind of slight halo which will work better with the halo of the mohair I feel Mm, interesting yeah so I'll update you guys next month yeah it's the thing with knitting you have a lot of different options because obviously you're 
there's this infinite number of options because you're making all this stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. It can get overwhelming. But it sounds like you've got through the, the process of that. Yeah, well, it had to sit in a, you know, bag for a few weeks for me just going, why don't, why isn't this working? Like, <laughs> I need to really think about it. And then it suddenly kind of came to me and I was like, ah. Uh, which means, you know, I have to rip back a little bit, but don't we all every yeah, now hey, and then? Hey, isn't that life sometimes? <laughs> yeah, just got to rip it back. And how about you? What have you been working on? So still doing a bit of susu. Susu! Uh, which we talked about last week, uh, which is now I'm going for loop. Mm-hmm. Very cool cabled oversized jumper. Yes, yeah, it's good. super cool. Yeah, yeah. plugging along with that. And also started some Fika socks. Ooh! So they have been incredibly popular. You can see their hashtag Fika fan club on Instagram. <laughs> Uh, these are the socks from uh, the latest issue as well. And uh, yeah, randomly met a lovely lady who said she recognised, she was like, what's your name? And I was like, oh, Sophie. And she's like, okay. And there was this massive pause where I was like, why? And she's like, oh, you sound like one of the pom-pom girls. And I was like, oh, that's okay. That's who I am. <laughs> we talked about Fika socks and she was saying how she was finding that she had to f- do them to find out what the heel was like. Yeah. And actually, I, I think I had said this to you before that I'd never done a heel like that. I should actually look up what the name is for it. Because I'm sure it has a special name. <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, this particular way of doing heel. I'm sure it has a name. Um, but yeah, I really actually enjoyed that particular way of yeah. working a heel. I feel I'm, I'm late to the party with that. But uh, <laughs> it's still going on, so it's fine. And yeah. you're like, oh, having a second wind, come in. The party never ends. <laughs> yeah. That's the good thing about the Fika party. <laughs> party never ends with socks. No. <laughs> Um, and of course you're making your tamari balls. Oh yeah, that's very true. I'm making tamari balls and yeah, that's good. Keep me pretty busy. Biz biz. Yep. have the paper and the yarn form so first up is a book oh <laughs> Lydia thought we were doing the yarn first Oops. And, uh, That's okay. I'm just picking up the book it's a very big book that is a big book so um <laughs> giant book <laughs> by Cecilia Campochiaro I hope I've pronounced her name right um and it's called sequence knitting and sequence knitting is um the use of one sequence of stitches so it could be knit one purl one or it could be knit three purl one knit one Mm -hmm. and you repeat that sequence over a certain number of stitches Mm -hmm. and either in the round or on a flat piece and by altering the length of the sequence and the amount of stitches you cast on so the kind of multiples of um of the stitch that you of the sequence that you can work in one row you get different types of fabric yeah which kind of sounds like a description of knitting in general so i'm not sure that i'm really doing it justice um because it really is quite an unusual book it's not yeah it's it's more sort of giving you a structure to work with it's sort of based you know knitting is a lot of geometry and math i often mm-hmm. feel and it's sort of putting those two things together saying if you use the sequence of this sort of math formula mm-hmm. i mean you're not having to do the equations or anything like that but it kind of alludes to that kind of pattern yeah. of thinking. Yeah. So, yeah, input this formula into this kind of thing, you get this kind of pattern of geometry. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It's a different way of looking at... Yeah, like we said, it's it sounds like we're talking about knitting in general, but I think this is a yeah. kind of a more visual way to think about all those different patterns. And if you're into textures... Mm, it's very, stu- very textual. Yeah, and you like sort of playing around with um, stitch patterns and sort of the different kind of uh, fabrics you can make within knitting... I think this is something for you. Yeah, and it's. I think the idea is that rather than having um, a pattern that has, you know, a 10-row repeat, mm-hmm. you have 
a repeat that's only a few stitches long and you just keep working that and depending on you know how it fits into your row length it'll do different things so I'm looking at a page now where you have you know knit two purl two which we all know creates ribbing if you work the purl stitches above the purl stitches and the knit ones above the knits but if you add if if you have an odd number of stitches then you end up doing a mistake rib yeah Yeah. and a lot of people be um, familiar with mistake rib knitting which is one of my favorites and then again if you you can get a kind of like moss stitch effect with something mm-hmm. like that. Like checkerboard kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, and then it takes that one step further and does even more what she, what Cecilia calls um, permutations of, of a particular sequence over different um, amounts of stitches, yeah. basically. I mean, this sounds complicated, but I think it's important to mention that in the book it says it's the idea for something that's kind of easy to follow because you are just taking a very small sequence of stitches, mm-hmm. of like a very repetitive stitch pattern but sort of um, playing around with that. Yeah, and yeah, and the idea again, yeah, so as Sophie said, the idea is that it is simple and you only have to remember a sequence of about four stitches. And mm-hmm. as long as you keep working that one sequence, you'll get an interesting result. And I think, you know, it is it is a very big book, but that's because there's a lot, of, you know, there's yeah. a lot here. <laughs> and it, um, she does um, some very interesting things with colour work, colour and texture um, with sequences as well. And there are a few patterns in here, um, for, you know, various uh things to kind of you know in case you're not quite ready to figure out your own pattern um you can kind of have a go there's some lovely scarves for example um so yeah i would say it's one of the more unusual knitting books i've come across yeah yeah i think uh, hopefully we've kind of given you a flavor of it but as we sort of the more we looked at it, the more we're like how do we explain this book yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not so she's done an amazing job of course yeah. of explaining all of it in and it's a really lovely very well put together book and the what one would call a coffee table book yes very yeah exactly and it's i think the design of the book as well reflects the idea of simplicity it's all there's mm. a lot of like it's very modern yeah kind of plain backgrounds and um there's a really on the back it's very cute there's lots of little uh circular swatches all kind of stood up little like tubes. Little, little tubes but they look like little kind of trees or something which i quite like um so yeah so that's sequence knitting by Cecilia Campochiaro. Yeah, if you're intrigued by that, it's one to look out for. Yeah, you should have a look, and uh, thanks, Cecilia, for making a nice book. So, Yarn Review, we've been sent a lovely sample of Lioness by Blacker Yarns. Now, Blacker Yarns have been featured on the podcast before, and we can't get enough of them. It's a blend of uh, natural linen and Falkland Island Corridale or Merino wool. Um, so it's quite an unusual blend, I guess. You don't get a lot of half wool, half linen. Yeah, and I was a bit sceptical at first. I was like, is this going to be weird? But it's not. So uh... No, it's got... I mean, because uh, linen obviously takes dye differently to wool, as all the mm-hmm. fibres take dye differently to each other. Um, so you get this kind of amazing heathered effect. Yeah, which I think we, we spoke about before with Blacker Yarns. So th- well, by the way, this is their new yarn. Yeah, so this is brand new. Yeah. It's literally hot off the press. Hot, hot off the, the spinning... The spinning thing. <laughs> mill yeah hot out the mill let's say that i don't think they do it on the wheel by hand you know they're not that small a company i suppose not <laughs> um, so yeah it's uh, their summer range which has been named after the mythical sunken land of lioness uh which is apparently was lost under the waves uh off the west of cornwall oh so yeah and now back. it's back in yarn yeah there we go couldn't keep it away <laughs> couldn't keep it down and it comes in two different weights a four ply or a double knit so um, what have you got here i've got the four ply and they it was um I think they had three millimetre as the recommended needle size. I've gone for three and a half because I wanted to kind of see 
the drapiness of it. Because right. I thought if I were to knit with this fabric, I, uh, this yarn, I'd be more likely to make maybe a shawl or a kind of light summer top. And I thought I'd be yeah. more likely to use it on a slightly more open needle. Um, and yeah, so I've knit this little swatch with it. And I, I've got to say, I really, really love it. I think it's a very unusual... I like linen anyway. Right. I'm a big Disclaimer. linen fan. Yeah. Um, and I think... You know, the idea that knitting isn't a summer activity really mm-hmm. needs to be put to bed, I feel, <laughs> because, you know, knitting with wool, I mean, you can't go wrong with wool. You know, we both love wool. True. Everyone loves wool all the time. We're going to love wool forever and ever We're and ever. We're just a sweeping statement, guys. Everyone yeah. loves wool. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's easy to forget that there are so many lovely mm. things that you can knit with that aren't warm and fluffy like sheep's. I think people get put off with linen and cotton and stuff. They're much less forgiving than the bounciness and elasticity of wool. But now you've got this blend. So what were your first impressions with knitting it then? So my first impressions were that it... um, Yeah, that it was more forgiving than I thought that a linen yarn would be. It's okay, Lydia. Yeah, it was... I did some things wrong (laughs) and it was okay with those things and we're still friends. So You're stronger um, because of it. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and I really, really like the feel of it. I like the kind of um, almost silkiness of the linen and the kind yeah. of crispness yeah. that it gives um, the fabric. It's got um, a little memory with that, you know, because yeah. it's got a stitch definition with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So Blacker, as this part is part of their summer range, they sort of said, um, you know, a range of summer cardigans, tunics, cowls and shawls. Mm. What, what sort of thing would you like to be making with it? I'm... Obviously all these things and above. But... Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about making a kind of summer, a light summer jumper mm-hmm. of some kind. But I really, I think it would work for almost anything. I mean, it would depend how wool sensitive you are, I suppose. I am not a wool sensitive person, so it's hard for me to judge. But the fact that it contains wool would mean that not, you know, some people might not be able to wear it right next to their skin. I would definitely be able to wear it right next to my skin. So I'd be quite interested in making, you know, trying to make... Uh, a woolen bra. A bra, like, yeah, yes. a bikini. I was thinking basically of making uh, a bikini. Uh, and then after no. that, I thought, <laughs> no. I'll make a t-shirt. <laughs> and actually, I've, I was thinking that there are a lot of things in our upcoming summer issue that this yarn oh, would work hey, yeah. very well for because it's summery. It's uh, nothing if not summary. And it's got some exciting colour names. Yeah, so all the colour names are based on um, jewels and precious yeah, stones. Yeah, precious stones. Exactly. So uh, the colour that we have here is called ruby, which is a very beautiful kind of... It's more of a, like, burgundy kind yeah, of wine. Yeah, kind of almost maroony. Oh, wine, mm. yeah. Ooh, definitely. wine. Merlot. Merlot. <laughs> Hello. It's a Rioja. Mm. Um, and they also have... Moonstone, aquamarine, mm-hmm. jade, uh, rose quartz and lapis. Yeah, so there's quite a small kind of capsule yeah. colour range, um, but all of the colours are really lovely and they are really summery. And the ones, you know, there's a kind of neutral, which is the moonstone. Mm. Um, and even that, I'm sure, has a kind of heatheriness to it. But all of the dyed uh, yarns, they do just have those lovely flecks of linen. Yeah, and it's not, when I say I describe them as washed out, it's not because they're unpleasant, but there's a sort of a pale kind of summer haziness to them, which makes it less of a, you know, yeah. you don't even want to often be wearing too strong a colour. It's like driftwoody. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, yeah. so they're, they're very pretty. I was going to do our game of you, making you guess what the colours were, yeah. but making you guess what colour the name Rose Quartz is, there's never a fun <laughs> challenge. It's not going to be the most challenging thing, is it? No. So they win on colour accuracy, definitely. They do. Yeah. Top marks for colour accuracy and for theminess yeah, as a definitely. theme. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, 
So I'd say um, check this out and I'll post a picture of my uh, swatch on our uh, blog post and of course um, that'll give you a little idea but the only way you'll really know what it's like is to get some. <laughs> Which I think so, yeah, you should. Maybe those of you planning your summer on warmer weather knits, have a look at Lioness by Blacker Yarns. Yeah. Thanks Blacker. <laughs> So this month, our interview is with the awesome Joji Locatelli, who um, is an Argentinian knitting superstar, I think it's safe to say. Um, her designs are always top of the pops on Ravelry, um, super versatile and wearable. Boxy, for example, yeah. is one of her well-known ones. And she is talking to us today all the way from Argentina via the uh, means of Skype, which means that this isn't the um, highest quality of audio, but I think you'll agree it's worth it. Uh, to hear Joji tell us all about herself. And also to hear us try and pronounce Joji. Which is actually Koki. So oh, sorry, Joji. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry we've said your name wrong. A classic question, which is, what are your early memories of uh, knitting and who taught you to knit? My earliest memories of knitting are probably at the age of 12. And my mom taught me to knit a garter stitch. And I think I made a garter stitch scarf back then. Um, and we were wondering um, if there's a big knitting culture in Argentina in general? Well, not right now. Uh, but there was um, when I when I started knitting again uh, in the two thousand four two thousand five, all the girls my age were um, trying it and they were knitting their own scarves and accessories and it was really popular back then and I think it was just a trend because it's such a hot country that people were not actually wearing what they were making so. Um, I, I wouldn't say there's a big knitting community or culture right now in Argentina, no. But um, I think here it, it is mostly grannies who knit, sadly. <laughs> um, and and me. <laughs> and cool people like you, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a granny, by the way. Just for your <laughs> um, so, um, what would be a traditional... Uh, Argentinian design or garment, would it be more likely to be crocheted? Yes, yes. There's a big uh, um, crochet culture. Um, lots of people do um, like lacy crocheted garments, uh, tank tops, um, uh, light cardigans, lots of cotton uh, clothes, lots of cotton clothes because of the weather. Um, if you go to the folklore, of um, what Argentine textiles are, you, I would say a woven poncho. It's um, what's the most typical um, thing to wear here, but I wouldn't say that's what people wear. But if you look at traditional textiles, you would see lots of wraps and ponchos um, woven. That, that would be. Okay, so is there a lot of weaving in general then in, in Argentina? Uh, well, you see... The way I see it, in, in the community we have on Ravelry, I would say that there's much more knitting than crochet and weaving. Mm -hmm. However, here, I would say it's equal. So, 
it, it's sort of like if you are uh, um, a fiber artist or a fiber uh, enthusiast, you will learn how to do all three things, right? That's the way I see it. Yeah, interesting. And so do you know how to weave? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I know the theory. <laughs> but, you know, we'll all learn someday. Do you know when? When I need all my stash, because that's going to happen one day, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, how, how long do you think you have knitting-wise until you knit all, your, all of your stash? Maybe 250 years. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll see you then for the weaving class. <laughs> okay. So we wanted to talk about your um, your sort of friendship and working relationship with Vera Valmaki. Um, how did you guys first meet and start? Uh, when did you decide to start working together? Um, we 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 wrote to each other a few times on Ravelry, um, maybe three or four years ago. Um, but just you know, uh, nice things and uh, not a real conversation back and forth. And then um, two and something years ago, we started talking more and. Um, that conversation led to the question, how cool would it be to do something together? Because at the time we were talking about how uh, different our countries were. And um, I was in our summer and she was in her winter. So it was the extreme seasons that we were going through. And um, so we were comparing, like uh, we worked doing the same thing, but in completely opposite sides of the world. And... Um, yeah, so I think uh, I I am a huge Vera fan, and uh, I followed her work for a long time. And she said she claimed to be the same with me. <laughs> so I said, why don't uh, why don't we do something together and let's put everything in the same collection and let's see how it goes. So that's how we um, started um, working on interpretations. Collections. So the co collaboration uh, called interpretations. Um, so the process and why did you decide to use words? Because that's sort of the starting points for all the designs. Um, why did you yeah. decide with that? Well, I need to admit that was Vera's um, suggestion. She just said, um, yeah, when I said, would you like to do something together? She just uh, wrote back with that idea. She said, why don't we... Um, think of words that we find meaningful for us, uh, like uh, for whatever the reason, we like them. And then we put up a collection that shows our different take on that word, like what that word means for us put into a design. Uh, and I thought it was genius. I love the idea. So what we did uh, was we brainstormed a few words for the first collection and we chose them together the ones that um, probably that inspired us the most. And then what we tried to do is while we were sketching, we tried to make sure that we didn't design two similar things for the same work so that the collection had a variety of garments and accessories. So it happened that for at least three of the words, our concepts were the same when we showed each other what we had thought or what we had planned. So we had to change, um, one of us had to change her design so that they didn't look exactly the same, our interpretation of that word. Um, which makes sense because I think we share a lot of our aesthetics and um, our tastes. So it, it did make sense that the words were interpreted in the same way. 
but um, we yeah. tried to make it more varied. Yeah, I suppose that's also why the project works so well together. Um, and you, I have read somewhere that you described this as your dream project. Can you explain why? Yeah. Um, well, interpretations came up as something that would allow us to work outside um, the traditional publication rules and standards. So when we when we decided when we were going to publish, we said just whenever it's ready and we would photograph it whenever it was ready to be photographed. So um, unlike a publication where you have a date that you need to um, have it ready for, like comply with, um, interpretations is just uh, a random thing. Like we will put one together if we want to and if we can, and otherwise we will do it a bit later if something comes up, you know. Uh, well, of course, for me, it was also working with my designing idol. Um, I would have never imagined myself working with her maybe one year before we did. And um, it just, it was, we worked with the yarns we wanted. We were already loving it. So it, it felt like a dream project, if you know what I Sounds mean. Sounds great. Yes, yeah, a lot of freedom in the design process. Yeah. If people haven't come across your designs before, how would how would you describe them? Mm. Um, so I I don't know if I can describe them, but I can describe what I try them to be. So yeah, perfect. I always start a design thinking that I want to make something super simple, but then in in the process of working on it, I say, "Well, this is too simple." So I end up just adding maybe some texture or some stitch pattern or I try to find a different construction. Um, so I would say that they they try to be minimalist and they fail at it. Also, I like um, draped garments. So I would say most of my designs are flowy and airy and um, not, not fitted, but just um, more... Stupid English. I can't think of oh, a sorry. word for that, but you, you know what I mean, like uh, draping in general. Mm. As a person who uh, is familiar with your designs, that sounds like a very good description of them. Um, they feel very kind of feminine, but also practical. And you've got some cosy things in there as well. Um, how does that work where you live, where it's very warm? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't really wear the things that I need unless... Uh, um, I find them, unless I fall in love particularly with that design, and um, it usually happens with a very lightweight uh, sample, mm -hmm. because I just can't wear worsted weight sweaters here ever. <laughs> um, because then you wouldn't be able to wear a jacket uh, uh, on top, and you would have to get it on and off all the time, wherever you go. So it just seems like an impractical garment for me to wear in Buenos Aires. So... I just um, just feel about my garments as uh, a painter would feel about their paintings. That you don't need to hand them in your living room to like them and to make them. Like my garments can live in a drawer, and I I don't need to make something that I think I will wear in Buenos Aires. If I really believe in that design, I can make it and show it and display it, and then 
it will go to the drawer and it will be happy there anyway. Interesting. All right. So speaking of your designs, um, you have um, a pretty color work hat with like a floral design called uh, Mitsupa. Yeah. Tell us more about the design process behind that. Well, um, you guys sent a beautiful mood board and I was told the theme for that collection was going to be Nordic. Uh, textiles and uh, designs and I had just um, finished planning a trip that I was going to make to Finland mm. so I had been uh, looking at a lot of Nordic things at that time and I had been pinning a lot of Finnish and Swedish stuff so that was very timely <laughs> with the with what I was already you know um, looking at during that period and um, so what I try to do is, um, you know, Marimeko brand yeah. from uh, Finland? Well, I had thought of using a design that sort of looked like the flowers they have, but that then it felt like it was copying um, their work. So I tried to... I tried to look for for motifs that look modern, but, but also traditional at the same time. And with the colors that I used, I tried to make it Marimeko-ish. <laughs> um, and that's how Vitsipa was born. Lovely. I think that's a, for, for us because our... Um, mood board was kind of you know it was the Scandinavian influence and then we we called it our kind of minimalist issue and this we have the same problem I think that you had or you were describing with your design process we wanted to do something <laughs> minimalist and then it kind of came out not so minimalist <laughs> yeah exactly because I think um I think that we as women like minimalist things but as crafters, we always want to do something that, um, you know, uh, keeps our interest. And then you end up using lots of texture and color and stripes. And it then minimalist becomes boring. So you might as well go buy a minimalist sweater and knit yourself a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> you and I just sat here <laughs> nodding like, yes, so true. <laughs> so um, what's on your needles now? And what are you finding your current inspirations are? I have on my needles a baby blanket because mm-hmm. um, um, I'm taking sort of a break from work this week because I have guests at my house mm-hmm. and I wanted to take some time off. Um, so I decided to use one of my patterns that's called So Close to make a baby blanket for a very dear friend of mine who's expecting. Um, so, yeah. So I'm making that. The first part of the pattern is a really simple garter stitch square, perfect for walking and showing people around and stopping and knitting without having to worry about what you're making. So that's what I'm working on now. And my current inspirations, it's always what people wear on the street, I would say. Um, I'm not particularly inspired by anything too much other than fashion itself and, um, you know, trends. So I'm looking forward to... I, I'm, I'm almost finished with all my works in progress, which means that I'm having a blank page to start a lot of new things. Oh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, yeah, to use my, my stash, you know, we talked about that. And <laughs> um, yeah, I hope I will be inspired by them. <laughs> I'm sure you will be. And um, 
So we have a question that we like to ask all our interviewees, which is, um, what is your spirit animal and why? I don't know. I would say right now I'm a bird. I'm, I think I'm moving uh, around the world and I like it. And I would like to see things and uh, discover. So I would say right now I'm a migrating bird. I also like to nest at my house a lot. So... Oh, that also makes me a bird. Yeah. <laughs> we had um, Gudrun Johnson a couple of podcasts ago, and she's always traveling from America to Shetland, and she said, yes, some sort of migrating bird. So it's a, it's a good choice. Well, yeah, I'm, <laughs> then, yeah, I'm not original at all. No, no, no. <laughs> um, and we have another question that we like to ask everyone, um, which is, if you were cast away on a desert island and you could only take one yarn with you, which yarn would it be and why? You can have all the colours in that colors particular yarn. Yeah. So, like, which particular um, kind of fibre base would you choose? Um, I would bring a single-ply superwash merino yarn in fingering weight. Mm -hmm. Very practical, yeah. Is that the reason yeah. why? <laughs> <laughs> because um, because most dyers dyed them in all the colours, first of all. <laughs> um, because then I could wear it if that island had Buenos Aires temperature. Mm -hmm. um, and because if that island was super cold, I could even use four strands of that yarn and knit something cozy out of it. Very practical. That's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. How do you think you'd do on your desert island? Do you think you'd be able to build a shelter? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I would need one. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, we haven't had that answer before. Yeah, <laughs> could knit a, knit yeah. a tent. Yeah, absolutely. I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, do you have any? plans for future projects you say you're taking a little bit of a break right now um do you have anything mm. coming up soon we might be working on a third interpretation ah. but that's that's going to happen some time from now okay well we'll keep our fingers crossed okay yeah <laughs> you'll let us know um and if uh, people want to keep up to date with you and your projects where where should they go online well um my favorite thing my favorite place to tell things is probably now instagram that's where i usually put my um news on and also not so interesting stuff like my garden my kids <laughs> and everything else so instagram i'm koji logat there and um, that's that's the most fun place to learn about my stuff. Excellent, awesome. Okay, well, that's great. We can we can send people there, and um, so we'll we'll say goodbye for now. But thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Bye. travel with their knitting or with their crochet or with any uh, craft, craft spoons, spoons for example yeah that's my new hobby now i don't have enough <laughs> of things to do <laughs> so we asked you guys about your tales when you're traveling around mm -hmm. and we got an email from um emma trelieven uh which she emailed to our podcast at pompommag.com email address and you should send us stuff there as well what was that again <laughs> they heard it the oh, first okay. time um yes yeah, podcast so. at pompommag.com <laughs> 
<laughs> so actually, I think we should just read this because she said she has a whole story. Yeah. So I yeah. think we should just read this. So uh, settle in. Uh, Eli can put some interesting background music for the story. Ooh. I hope you can. Um, <laughs> you better. Okay. Um, Hello, Pomcast ladies. I was in Thailand a few years ago with a friend, and we took an overnight train from Bangkok to Chiang Mai, which is a city in the northern part of the country. I woke up quite early in the morning, much earlier than my friend, so as the amazingly northern Thai jungle sped by, I pulled out my knitting. I was working on the second pair of socks I'd ever knit, and there have been many since. Many in capital letters. Many! (laughs) So they were very plain and out of a pale blue yarn. After about 20 minutes, I look up and one of the train attendants is standing there watching me. When I said hello, she blushed and hurried away, so I went back to knitting and watching the trees out the window. A few minutes later, the attendant is back with a friend, and they peek out from the edge of the doorway, watching until I invite them into the compartment. Turns out, they have never seen anyone knitting before. I guess knitting is not a traditional craft in Thailand, largely, I suppose, to extreme warm weather. One of the women asked if she could try, so I showed her how to knit and purl, which she picked up amazingly quickly, even with knitting on four needles in the round. The other woman was content just to watch. They didn't believe me when I told them it gets cold enough to Canada that you have to wear the socks like like these for most of the year. <laughs> After one woman had knit a few rows, she stood up, thanked me, and they both left the compartment to go back to work. But I was really struck in my mind how happy I was to have shared the joy of knitting with these two total strangers on the train on the other side of the world. That's a great story. What a lovely story. That's sort of heartwarming and makes me go all gooey inside at the thought of that lovely little interchange. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so thanks, Emma. Thank you so much for sending us that story. Um, and keep them coming, guys, if you keep have more heartwarming or just hilarious, terrifying, death-defying, moving, moving, thrilling, any kind of stories, basically. I think, finished off, so a bit closer to home, we have a little comment from Rachel, who actually commented on the blog from, uh, from pompommag.com. And she said, my favourite knitting in public story has to be starting to cast on a wrap-around cardigan on the train between Leeds to London. So much closer to home now, mm-hmm. we're not in Chiang Mai. <laughs> um, in first class, got, she puts in brackets, got a deal. I like this woman already, yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten all my stitch markers, and the lovely fellow travellers gave me their ring pulls on their cans after I collected a few left at my table, and watched in curiosity. Fairly sure the child opposite me was allowed to drink far too much fizzy pop because of the altruistic act of helping a knitter. <laughs> that child was obviously having a good time there. Yeah, showing a high <laughs> and getting to watch a knitter. I mean, what more could you want? Nothing. I think that's great. I love the ingenuity of stitch markers. Yeah, yeah, because you do quite often have to use... I mean, I, I wonder what kind of needle she was using because I'm not sure I would like the clink of metal... Um, ring pulls on my metal needles. I also might sound really punk, you know, like just yeah, yeah just beer can ring pulls. <laughs> Johnny Rotten of music, you know? <laughs> definitely. So that's awesome. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for that story. And now I'll know what to do if I'm stuck without my stitch markers on a train. True. So yeah, like we said, you guys can get in touch if you've got any travelling stitches tales. So now to Ravelry Realness, which uh, this month has a pet-based theme. Yeah, we browse Ravel- Ravelry, so you guys don't have to. <laughs> We point you towards uh, some highlights. Now we both have pets. Have you ever knit anything for your pet? No. Have you? No. <laughs> and that's the end of Ravelry Real. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we... Um, I, a while ago, saw a pat- this particular pattern, which is uh, called Cat's Mane by Mare Almagro. And it's basically a mane that you can knit for your cat to make it look like a tiny lion. <laughs> and when I saw that, I thought, thank God for Ravelry, because... <laughs> I would never have thought of that by myself. Cats are almost like tiny lions, but this person thought, what could I do to make this feline king of the jungle, even though lions don't live in the jungle? But yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's basically sort of looks like a pom-pom on a cat's head. Which is why we love it even more. Which is obviously super great. And uh, I think it deserves to be checked out. And there are many projects of it, which is fun, because it means you get to scroll through lots of pictures of tiny lions. Yep. They're, they're very prevalent now in these, these parts. <laughs> these woolly parts. <laughs> a special mention, of course, goes to our Valentos winner, uh, Ruth, uh, who's on Ravelry as Chicken Nugget, but obviously that's not her main name. It might, I don't know, it might be originally, but Ruth, I think she's known as more commonly. She did uh, a little mini uh, sock pattern for her kitty. Yeah, so uh, you can look that up, and you can make tiny cat socks for your tiny lion. <laughs> Sorry, tiny lion Keep socks. Keep their, their paws safe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I also found this is slightly more practical, should we say? Yeah. Although who's to say what is practical or impractical in these crazy days? True. But uh, it's a, a nest by Hannah Katayamaki. I'm sorry, Hannah, if I didn't say your name right. Um, it's a nest crocheted out of bulky t-shirt yarn, mm-hmm. sort of like a kind of cat basket, but it's more like a sort of sphere with a hole in it, so they yeah. can go and sit inside. It's very cute. Well, cats like doing that. They love sitting in things. things. So. Yes. So if you know if your cat doesn't have a bed and needs one, good place to start. Yeah, definitely. But living in London, like, what are you going to do if you don't actually have a cat? I mean, some lots of people live in the cities. Like, you know, I can't have a dog. Don't worry. Pet Rock by Sabrina Thompson will solve all your lonely nights and days. With no animal. <laughs> I think it's actually quite a nice thing to do. You know, when we were interviewing Clara Parks and she was saying, I have like that comfort swatch that she has on the photo. Yeah. You could use some really nice yarn and you're kind of nodding at me like, okay, but you have some really nice yarn, knit your little pet rock. It's very 70s. I don't know why we keep referencing the 70s. <laughs> the you could put like lavender in it or something. Yeah, that sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So pet rock, everyone. Yeah. Good plan. There's also um, a pattern called To Humiliate the Dog. Um, by the I think yard. a lot of the patterns already have cut that covered. Anything you're knitting for an animal has that. Slightly humiliating, yes. Um, and it's basically a sort of funny hat with silly ears that you can make for your dog or cat. Yeah. And know. again, if you're feeling down, we highly recommend browsing through these Ravelry topics to see many animals in funny hats. Yeah, it's pretty great. So humiliate the dog by the yarn loving couple. And lastly, there's a slightly more handy one, but only handy if you own a cat. Okay, what would which is? The catnip bunny. Oh, right, so this is quite a cute little sachet, but then again, get your lavender, because everyone has excess lavender. Where am I going to put this? <laughs> I can finally put it. Just I just have to dig through lavender when I'm trying to leave my house. Yeah, I just wish I had some it's sort of knitted Freaking nightmare. It's <laughs> a way I could make it into small pouches Indeed. and use. Um, but yeah, it's a little bunny, um, and she's made, and so it's by Selena Kyle, and the pictures are lovely because there are lots of little bunnies in rainbow. Anything colour. in colour order is going to make me really yeah, happy. Yeah, exactly. And um, Sophie was saying, you know, you wouldn't have to make a catnip bunny. You could make a lavender bunny. Or you could even make it as a little toy for a human person. Yeah. Um, like a little pram necklace, it says on her page, actually, which is a lovely idea. Really yeah. good idea. So we uh, suggest you check out that Ravelry realness. Because Ravelry is what? Fundamental. <laughs> so our top three for this week comes from... So we asked you guys on our Ravelry forum, uh, what would you like us to talk about on top three? We had a lot of excellent suggestions, including, I think, what was it you saying this? We should have top three of the top three. Oh yeah, definitely. And then we're not ready for that because it blew my mind. (laughs) 
too meta. Too yeah, too meta. But so we've got we've gone for books that you'll you'll reread, and we've kind of interpreted that as books that we read again and again and again. So um, maybe some of these are your favourites as well. If not, then you've got something for the reading list for this year. Yeah. So thank you to Sophistinitz for her suggestion, and thank you to everyone who's suggesting, and keep keep those suggestions coming in. Yeah. Because one day we will have to make top three of the top threes. Yeah. And I can't wait for that day. Can't wait for that day. But so, for yeah. today... <laughs> we don't... We, like, Lydia really likes keeping this a secret from me. She writes it down and sort of, like, has a little show notes. Like, oh, yeah, that's really good. I'm, but you can't find out until the end. So it's going to be just as exciting for me as it is you guys. <laughs> All right. You ready? Um, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> okay. So at number three, I have Of Love and Other Demons by uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. All right. Well, I haven't read this one, so... So he's my favourite author. So mm-hmm. it's strange that this is number three on the reread list, but it just is because it's not. It's uh, one of his shorter novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I've probably read it about six or seven times, partly because it's so short, partly because it's <laughs> one of yeah, because it's, it's just quicker, a pam- right? It's just, a it's just like I finish it a few days, um, and it's also just one of my favourite stories ever. He's, as I said, one of my favourite authors. I love magic realism. Um, it sort of appeals to my love of sparkly magicalness mm-hmm. in my life you were the first person who first told me about the the theme of like that as a genre because i was telling you i can't there's a book called light water for chocolate yes yeah i can't remember who it's by um i can't either but yeah she's a mexican author mm-hmm. that's an awesome book yeah and that's magical realism and there's a tr- strong tradition of it in um central and south american literature um so yeah i, I love the magical realism of it and i love uh the themes which are just... I don't know how much we should reveal about these books, just yeah, in case. Yeah, little tasters of mm, them, yeah. Well, it's about... Um, uh, it's about a girl who uh, they think she's possessed, mm-hmm. um, mostly just because she's, like, a bit strange, basically. And You identify um, with this character. And I do <laughs> identify with the character. Um, but it's just a really, really beautiful story, beautifully written, and I... It was one of the few books I had with me when I was in Mexico, um, which is probably one of the reasons I read it so many times, mm-hmm. but um, it's just... He has such a poetic way of writing that I found it very kind of soothing um so that's at number three at number two is to kill a mockingbird oh an excellent a classic definitely which yeah is we studied it in school and it's probably the only book that i studied in school that i really really genuinely enjoyed Mm. and have read repeatedly since i think that's the danger with doing things in uh, like a class that you can do it to death and then you know, you sort of lose the magic of that book because you've gone over and over and over it. Yeah so. and I also think not all books lend themselves as well as something like To Kill a Mockingbird because often we'd be talking about kind of foreshadowing and themes and you know imagery and all these kind of um, literary techniques and sometimes I just thought I'm not sure if the author intent like it wasn't always clear to me whether that was really intentional or, or whether it was kind of being read into which doesn't mean that it's less important but I just often thought like oh they're just making it up. Um, but I, me to write an essay. yeah, like oh god, I don't, I can't see the death being foreshadowed in this. What are they talking about? But I think in To Kill a Mockingbird, the themes. It's one of those few books where the moral message and the theme is so clear mm. and obvious, but it's not irritating. It's not preachy. It's just so beautifully done through the eyes of of two. I mean, I'd be surprised if there are many people who haven't read or or, yeah, aren't familiar, or at least you know. know the story. Or yeah, and there's the film, a, there's yeah. a film, of course. Um, and yeah, I have read it repeatedly, and I just think it's really one of the greats as i think many people do and it just every time i read it there are new things that Mm. i enjoy um and so that's number two 
And number one, yeah. this is kind of cheating because it's actually three books because oh. it's his Dark Materials trilogy oh, by gosh, Philip yeah. Pullman. Why didn't I write that one? Oh, <sighs> all right. Well. But which I've read twice as a threesome. As a set, yeah. Yeah. So that'll be, it's, um, so the first one is Northern Lights. The second one is The Subtle Knife. And the last one is Amber the Amber Spyglass. And for those of you who haven't read it, it's kind of... Is it teen... It's sort of aimed at teenagers? Yeah, it's one of those magical books which kind of transcends the... Is it a children's book for adult or an adult book for children? Yeah, it's sort of like a teen fiction-esque, but it's... Again, it's got very... I think the theme... I mean, it's much, much longer than To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And the kind of overriding themes and issues that are dealt with through the book are fairly clear by the end. I think it's very clear what he's saying, but it's, again, so beautifully done. Yeah. And kind of... um, There's a lot of... The science within it is there's a lot of interesting stuff with that, but there's also this whole... It's almost like touching on the ideas of uh, religion as well within that book. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, very, very much so. And it also has the fun idea of having a demon. Yes. Which everybody always loves, which, for those of you who haven't... You should definitely read this, by the way, and this isn't a spoiler of any kind. In uh, the world of His Dark Materials... It's like a parallel... Yeah, the idea of parallel worlds within the the world that we exist in. Which is also really fun. Uh, fun to think about um, where people have a kind of an uh, animal that it's accompanies like a them. Spirit guide. It's like your spirit guide or spirit animal, which we know we love. <laughs> maybe your conscience or soul, yeah. but it's external to you and it takes the form of um, animals. And when you're young, the animal changes depending on what you feel like. But mm. as you get older, it fixes. Uh, um, but yeah, I think it's sort of cheating, like I say, because it's three books, so there's a lot of it. But I could probably, like, if I was cast onto a desert island, I would probably take his dark materials with me because I think. There's so much in it because of all the parallel worlds and because of the kind of magical quality and the big questions that it addresses in very kind of clever and um, kind of tender ways. Mm, I think it's like they're big issues that he's dealing with, but they're, again, I I can see a sort of theme here, actually. There's a lot of like seeing things through children's eyes in the books that I like because I like things to be um, written in a way that people can understand. I don't think there's much gained from making things overcomplicated. So that's my top three. Nice. And how about you, Sophie? All right. So I'll probably start off. I mean, we say one, two, three, but I think things can just be in a general kind of lump of enjoyment. <laughs> mm. Cool. Mm. I'm available in shops now. <laughs> probably I go for it with a lot of people. I do end up referencing this series a lot through the podcast, and I'm not as obsessed with it as it seems I would be. Uh, but I think we'd have to go for the Harry Potter. And set. I think you're in a lot of good company there. I think a yeah. lot of people would uh, feel similarly. I think... Um, it's just, I don't know, one of those things that you end up returning to. I feel like, you know, just kind of like a very comforting thing to be like, mm. oh, I'll just read a bit of this. And it's, it's great. And yeah. I think I remember very clearly when the last one came out. I remember reading it and then I kind of finished it. And I was like, well, there's my childhood gone. And I kind of read through the whole thing. And I was like, well, I'm saying, you know, you're saying goodbye to these characters. And you say, you know, because one of the people who's kind of wait and think, like, oh, the next one's coming out. Yeah. That weird phenomenon that was in those, that kind of decade that we... Yeah, and you kind of grew up, like, we grew up with them. Mm. Like, when Harry Potter started, we would have both been, like, 12, 12? or yeah, 13, yeah. basically. And so, yeah, you kind of grow up through them and with them, and then they stopped being books. Yeah. So, my next one would be The House of Sleep by Jonathan Coe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really clever book. I'm going to try and describe it the way I can. Basically, it just, it's all these different characters mm-hmm. who 
grew up in the, like uni and sort of 70s 80s mm-hmm. and then it's talking about now and their lives now so it's all these different lives interweaved because of sleep there's a doctor of sleep there's a woman who has narcolepsy there's a guy who says he's never slept like he's just hit a certain point in his life and he's like no i don't sleep anymore wow um and it's just he johnson has a very beautiful and real way of writing like there's another book which i nearly wrote in this top three mm-hmm. called the rotters club which is set in the 70s and some like teenage kids growing up and their life and music and stuff like that and it's just like a very it's very ordinary, but he kind of makes it uh, special. Just yeah. even though it's just kind of very real, like people's lives. And the one thing about love about the house of sleep is quite a poetic kind of uh, angle to it because it's all about sort of dreams and sleep. And I think there's always that kind of interest and intrigue in that, which mm-hmm. makes it kind of a mysterious thing. Yeah. That you know, I just find really interesting. And the book is sort of written in stages of sleep. Like you have, you know, you're dozing and then um, REM sleep, mm-hmm. REM sleep, or whatever the dream cycle. Um, so I definitely recommend that because I found it very haunting, beautiful. Kind yeah, of sad I haven't book. actually heard of that book, so yeah. I will try and borrow it from you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, to finish with, the L-shaped room by Lynn Reed Banks, who you might know as the writer of Indian in the Cupboard. Maybe people know that one more. Oh, I don't know either of those. Um, so it's based on a, a woman in sort of the end of the fifties, sixties, and she moves. She's living in London, um, and she's just well. She finds out she's pregnant, and it's obviously in a an era of. Uh, society when a woman not married or connected having a expecting a child is kind yeah. of very scandalous still mm-hmm. and it's just her sort of going through the motions of life and kind of finding out what she's going to do and uh i think yeah like you were saying a lot of your you're finding a theme with your books i think mm. the theme of my books is like very real kind of stuff happening to people in their lives and what they do i think one of the things is i was given that book by my mom She's like, oh, I think you'll enjoy this. And it was just before I was moving to uni. And I was kind of like, yeah, and this girl moving to London. Obviously, I wasn't pregnant at the time. <laughs> but I always kind of returned that as kind of like a comforting book in the fact that she's kind of there figuring out what who she is and what she's going to do. And there's a really nice point. This is not a spoiler, but she gets a, a letter from an aunt. And uh, at one point in the letter, the aunt's written, just figure out what you're going to do and don't drift ever. Just do it. I think that's a nice kind of thing to have that kind of... Uh, kind of kick up the arse every now and again to think about that. <laughs> just write it on a big piece of paper and stick it to the wall. Yeah, yeah. And I still have, like, mum's really battered, like, penguin copy, which is really nice. And then uh, I had a housemate when I was telling them about favourite books and then they, were, like, went out and bought me, like, another copy because they were like, it's falling apart and you need to have your favourite book. She was, like, an, she was trying to be an English teacher and she's, like, we understand the beauty and the importance of books and she's like, you should have this. Yeah. So we hope you guys either have some inspiration for books to read or yeah. any suggestions for us and the other podcast listeners to read. Yeah, no, we'd love to hear um, your top three books because I'm always looking for, like, I'm excited by Sophie's ones. Mm. So I think you were very familiar with mine, except for yeah. the Marquez one. But I don't think, I mean, I've read part of the Harry Potter stuff, but I haven't read either of your other two. So I will be putting those on my to read list. Cool. So when you guys start knitting. <laughs> yes. Are you saying when those? <laughs> As in everyone's always knitting, Sophie, come on. <laughs> Get someone to read it to you. Where'd it go? Audiobooks. <laughs> Audiobooks, yes. Um, or yeah. podcasts. Or anyway. Pod- anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thanks again for your suggestions and keep them coming. Thanks again to Blacker Yarns. Thank you to Joji. Again, we can't pronounce it. I'm so sorry. For <laughs> our lovely interviewee. And, and thanks to you guys. For listening. For we'll listening. See you next time. We love you. Bye. Podcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott with help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. 
For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks again to Blacker Yarns for sponsoring this podcast. And of course, we'd like to say a big thank you to all your pom-pom buyers, subscribers, and listeners. Send any feedback or suggestions to podcast at pompombag.com. And don't forget to join our thread on the Pom Pom Ravelry group.